Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. You've been waiting for this moment, and it's finally here. We're excited to study the Bible together. That promo that you just saw, Unordinary, How God Calls You to Break the Mold, is a promo for our next week's sermon series. You see, today is week number Five in a sermon series entitled Roller Coaster, Embracing the Ups and Downs of the Christian Experience. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But next Sunday begins a brand new three-week sermon series entitled Unordinary. See, Christ has created you uniquely, individually, special. And in reality, what God wants for you is not to live an ordinary existence, but an unordinary, a extraordinary life. And so we're going to talk about how God calls you to break the mold that other people have tried to place you in. That's all from Luke chapter number 10, starting next week. But today, you're here to study the Word of God with me. Luke chapter number 9, verse 57. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you brought them, and we'll go ahead and get started today. Now, before we go any further, I got to say I'm really excited because next week, that's right, next well, is it next week? It's coming up pretty soon. It's something called the Jam Session, October 21. And if you are a musician of any kind, if you play an instrument or if you're a vocalist, uh, you are invited to come out to the Southern Hills Band and Choir Jam Session. That's coming up October 21st at 7 p.m., and it's going to be right here at the church. Now, you say, Josh, are you going to be here? No, because the only musical instrument I know how to play is the radio, so I'm not invited, but... If you know how to play a musical instrument, or if you just want to come out and jam with the rest of the band, come on out on that day. If you're a vocalist, bring your chords and have a great time together with these amazing musicians as they worship the Lord together. I've heard it's a lot of fun. You're going to have a great time out there at that time. Luke chapter number nine is all about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And throughout these last four weeks, which lead into week number five, the sermon is entitled, Ride of a Lifetime, the big question that we face is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I'm going to say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? Worth it. Is it? That's the big question that we're wrestling with. Now, before some of you who are hyped up on church think to yourself, yes, let's just say yes, amen. Is it worth it? Hallelujah, pastor. Yes, it's worth it. Okay, before you just answer the question, let me predicate it by saying what the words of Jesus are about to say are really controversial. What we're about to study, if Jesus says, if you follow me, these are the things you're gonna have to do. So don't just shout out, is it worth it? And then say, yes. But we can ask the question together. So I'm going to say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? And by the end of the sermon, what I want you to be able to do is answer for yourself whether or not selling out to Jesus Christ, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a believer, but a disciple who follows Jesus throughout life. 
Is it worth it? My hope is that you'll be able to say, yes, it's worth it. I'm going to say, is it? You say worth it. Is it? Let's go ahead and see what the Bible says in Luke chapter number 9 and verse number 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So is it worth it? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to get a clear understanding of this simple question. Because as I call people today to follow you, as I ask people today to consider giving their lives to you, as I ask disciples to consider continuing to follow you, the question that should be asked is, is it worth it in the end? Help us to wrestle with that question, not just simply dismiss it or answer it quickly. And God, help us to see the answer after careful examination is yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Following Jesus, is it worth it? I think the answer is yes. But when you look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, you're going to see a unique passage that today is going to take the form of a very unique sermon. If you've been to Southern Hills at any amount of time, you'll know that typically I'll walk through a passage of Scripture and I'll break it up into two or three or four main points, mostly three. One, this, and two, this, and three, this, and that's it. But today's sermon is not three points. In fact, today's sermon is really just one point, one major theme, one idea. And the one idea that I want to get across is that following Jesus is worth it. But I don't want you just to take it for my word's sake. I want you to wrestle with the concept. Is it worth it? I'm going to say, is it? You say worth it. Is it? Look what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened, or verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road. What journey? See, the best way to study the Bible, if you're here today and you're new, one of the things we think the best way to study the Bible is to study it verse by verse, within the context, understand what the Bible is actually saying. Don't just pull scripture out of context. Don't just take Jesus' words and twist them to whatever you want them to say or what I want them to say. What does the Bible actually say? And in verse 57, it says, as they journeyed. Who's they? Well, they are the disciples, Jesus and his 12 followers, among other followers. They're all following Jesus on a journey. Now, where exactly are they journeying on the road? To understand where they're journeying in verse 57, you have to go back to verse 51. And verse 51 tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Look what it says in verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 51 is a hinge point in all of the gospel of Luke. It's like the middle of the entire story. The first part takes place mostly in Galilee, where Jesus is from, and where he grew up in Nazareth. But now he's shifting his focus, and he's going to start walking toward the city of, what city is he walking to? Anybody know what city he's walking to? Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you this question. Why is Jesus headed to Jerusalem? Does anybody know? Any Christians here today say, oh, I know he's focused on Jerusalem, because in Jerusalem he's going to what? Does anybody know? Somebody said it here. Who, who said it? He's going to go there to what? To die. 
So according to this passage, Jesus, halfway through his ministry, sets his face and starts heading steadfastly toward Jerusalem. Here, we see the steely gaze of determination of any hero you've seen in any story. Think of your favorite movie. Think of your favorite story. Think of your favorite hero of any story. The moment they get off of the mat and they pull their arms up ready to fight one more time with a stilly determination and gaze of they are going to be victorious. Think of the moment they strap that shield back onto their arm and they're going into certain death even though they know they may not win. It's the steely determination of Jesus Christ that says, I know I'm going to Jerusalem and I know when I get there, I'm going to die. You say, wait, 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 wait. Jesus knew that when he went to Jerusalem, they were going to kill him? Yeah, in fact, the Bible's very clear on this point. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he continually let the disciples know, I'm going to die. I came to die. In fact, the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to die. For those who are unfamiliar with the theology behind it, let me explain. The, the theology or the perspective of Christianity is this. Mankind is really screwed up. How many of you can agree with this statement, mankind is really screwed up? Can I get an amen? Okay, yes. Yes. You say, I'm not sure. You haven't lived long enough. It's really screwed up. And it's not just them, it's us, like all of us, like you and me and the rest of the world. And because of our screwed up nature, we sin against one another and we sin against God and we end up destroying all the things that God gave us. That is called sin when we disobey God and disobey his plan for us. And the Bible says that our sin deserves destruction here on earth and damnation in eternity after death. But God loves us, and God doesn't want us to destroy ourselves here, and he doesn't want us to be damned for eternity. So what Jesus Christ did was develop a plan with God the Father, and God the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. And the way it works is this. You and I have sin inside of us, and our sin is going to destroy us and damn us, but Jesus Christ said, I will come, I will die upon the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. And in doing so, I will shed my blood to pay for all of their sins so that they can believe on me and be forgiven. This is what we call the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew that no matter how good of a miracle worker he was, no matter how good of a Messiah he was, he needed to come to die upon the cross in Jerusalem. And so he steadfastly set his face to journey to Jerusalem. And he was going to die. Now, let me ask you a question. When he died, did he stay dead? Yes or no? No. He rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he went up to sit on the right hand of God the Father. Now, can you picture him there? There Jesus is, having died, buried, rose from the grave. He's sitting by God the Father. Now, I want you to imagine. The Bible doesn't say this. I want you to imagine an angel standing beside Jesus after he was dead, buried, rose from the grave, died for your sins and my sins, and he leans over and asks Jesus the question, was it worth it? Was it worth the nails in your head, hands? Was it worth the crown of thorns on your head? Was it worth dying for their sins? Was it worth it? What do you think Jesus' answer would be, yes or no? 
Yes. Is it, you say, Jesus sacrificed everything to save your soul? And the big question I wonder, for him, is it worth it? Now, as they journeyed, look, it goes on in verse 57. As it happened, they journeyed on the road, and someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Stop. Jesus is on the road, journeying to where? Where is Jesus going? Shout it out. And he's going to Jerusalem to do what? To die. And now the Bible says, this random Joe walks up and says, hey, Jesus, I've heard about you. I want to follow you wherever you go. Does he know what he's asking for? Jesus just said, I'm on my road to go to Jerusalem to die. And some random Joe is like, I want to be a follower of Jesus. You know, sometimes people don't know what they're signing up for when they want to follow Jesus. And throughout history, I have to apologize on behalf of a lot of preachers. Right now, I'm going to apologize to you. There are a lot of them today, and there have been throughout history, guys like me standing in rooms like this, trying to talk people into following Jesus, trying to sales pitch you, right? Follow Jesus, and all of your wildest dreams will come true, I promise. Your farms are going to grow more fruit, and your sheep are going to have more little lambs, and you're going to have a Cadillac, and you're driving everything that you've ever dreamed of. It's going to be yours. And, and we want people to do that because we love Jesus, and we love you, and we know that following Jesus in the end is worth it. So sign on the dotted line, follow Jesus, and everything's going to be great. But that's not what Jesus says here. This guy calls out to Jesus, Jesus, where are you going? Jerusalem to die? Can I go with you? And Jesus says, look at what Jesus says to this man. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His response to the guy was pretty obvious, wasn't it? You want to follow me? Bro, do you understand? The foxes have places to go to sleep. Birds have nests. We don't even know where we're staying tonight. You sure you want to follow? Notice that Jesus is not trying to sell this guy on being a disciple. He's being very honest with him. I want to be very clear and honest with you. My goal, listen, is not to sell you on being a disciple of Jesus Christ. My goal is to lay out exactly what is expected of a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus, can I follow you? You know I'm homeless, right? Jesus, can I follow you? You, you, you understand if you follow me, I cannot promise you comfort in life. I say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? I can't promise comfort, but I can promise sacrifice. Here's what I've noticed about Jesus. I've followed him now for most of my life. I'm not perfect. Many times I've messed up, but I'm somebody who has followed Jesus for most of my life. And I've noticed about Jesus, if you want to come follow him with me, I've noticed this, that oftentimes he will make you choose between something you want and him. It's not follow Jesus and you'll get everything you've ever wanted. Sometimes he'll even put things in your life that you want and he'll say, I want you to sacrifice this so that you can follow me. I know what you want and you're not going to get it. Instead, I want you to want me. And he does so in this story. I've known people who have given up much to follow Jesus Christ. Have you? Like, like I know a guy who comes to church every Sunday morning at 8.30 after 
working all night long downtown. He stays up all night working on Friday night, gets a few hours of, on Saturday to sleep, works all Saturday night, six o'clock in the morning on Sunday, gets off, grabs a cup of coffee, comes to church, sits in the parking lot, gets ready to come into church at 8.30. What is he doing? He's giving up sleep to follow Jesus Christ. I know individuals who have given up family to follow Jesus Christ. Suddenly you receive Christ as your savior and you're called to the first step of obedience, which is baptism. And so you tell your family and friends, I'm gonna be baptized, and your parents get really upset. They're like, what do you mean baptized? We sprinkled you when you were a baby. You're turning your back on your religion. And you're like, no, I'm trying to follow Jesus. If you do that, then you're done with us. And people who have had to sacrifice family to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I know individuals who have, I know a woman, many throughout the years who have had to sacrifice a relationship to follow Jesus Christ. Is a poor sweet girl whose boyfriend wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ and suddenly she repents, she receives Christ as her savior, she's born again, she's following Jesus and notices that he has nothing to do with Jesus, wants nothing to do with Jesus and God is calling her to sacrifice him to have Jesus. The Bible is clear, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever and now she's called to have Jesus or have him and she's supposed to sacrifice him in order to have Jesus. Christ, to be called to Christ is a call to sacrifice often that which you want comfort in order to have him. The question is, is it worth it? I say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? That's what Peter wanted to know. You see, Peter was called of God to be a follower of Jesus Christ years before. And in Luke chapter 9, whenever that guy came up and said, Jesus, can I follow you? Birds of the air have ho uh, nests and foxes have holes, but we don't have a place to sleep. One of the people that was with Jesus at that time, his name was Peter the Apostle. And Jesus was walking toward Jerusalem, and it would take him four to five months to get to Jerusalem. It would take from chapter number 9 all the way to chapter number 18 of the Gospel of Luke to actually arrive at the outskirts of Jerusalem. And during that four to five month journey, Peter was there the entire time, sacrificing relationships and sacrificing business and sacrificing finances and sacrificing everything to follow Jesus. And do you ever think, you ever wonder if the disciples asked the question, is it worth it? The answer is yes. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, look what it says, right before they get to Jerusalem, Luke chapter 18, Peter said to Jesus, see, Jesus, he stands as the leader of the disciples, We've left everything to follow you. What's his question? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And look at what Jesus said to him. Jesus said in verse 29, I love that Jesus doesn't yell at Peter. He just loves Peter and says, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. There's nobody who has left all of these things for God. Look at the next verse in verse number 30 on the screen, who will not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. You know what Jesus says? He says, is it worth it? Yes, it is worth it and it will be worth it. I'm gonna say, is it, you say worth it, is it? 
according to Jesus Christ, he is not calling you to a life of comfort. He's calling you to a life of sacrifice. The question that we have to ask the question, is it worth it? Yes. Here's the question I have for you. What to what is God calling you to sacrifice? Maybe for you, it's comfort. For some, it's sleep. For some, it's a relationship. For some, it's an occupation. For some, it's a location. For some, it's something else that I could never name, but the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to sacrifice this. And I'm here to say that sacrificing for Jesus Christ is always, always worth it because in the end, your life is much more than you realize, I believe. I want you to, I want you to take a look at this dot. About seven or eight years ago, I gave this illustration as the pastor of this church, and I recently asked one of the members, when did I talk about that? They said, man, it was in the old building, and it was like eight years ago. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of people here that have never heard me talk about this. So I thought I'd bring back an oldie but a goodie and talk with you about the dot versus the line. You see, I want you to think of your, your existence, not just your life, like your full existence. God gave you life. Most of you are alive today. If you're alive today, say amen. amen. Most of you are alive in the room. Some may not be right now. That's okay. We're just glad you're getting the rest that you need. Okay, amen. But if you're here today and you're alive, that God has given you this life. Are you thankful for the life God has given you? Yes or no? Say amen. Yes, God has given you this life. Now, here's the question. How do you see your life? You see, most people think of their life like this finite dot. You've only been given 70, 80, 90 years. Some of you will live to be 100. Some of you will live to be 103. And at 103, you'll be thinking, why am I still here? But at some point, you're going to leave this life. The question is, once you leave this life, is there anything to come? See, I believe yes. I believe in the line, not just the dot. I believe that there is going to be an eternal life to come. I believe that God gave me a body that will last for a few decades, but he gave me a soul that was created to live forever. And because my soul is created to live forever, I don't live for the dot, I live for the line. Which is a completely new way of thinking. See, I want to challenge some of you today who, in reality, you've spent your entire existence being trained by others who only live for the dot and they don't understand the line. See, you're taught early on, if you really know how to master life, if you really want to hack life, you spend the first 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years all preparing so the last 10 years, the little part right here, is like the most comfortable life you've ever existed. And hopefully you don't die before you have a little fun. And hopefully you don't live so long that you outlive your money. There's this tiny little spot in there that's called retirement, and life is going to be great. So you spend your entirety of this dot living for this tiny portion, and you forget that all of eternity is still to come. 
And years ago, when I began to understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to truly believe in the line and not just the dot, I realized that everything I do during this dot affects everything that will happen for eternity. So that instead of living my dot for the dot, I'm living my dot for the line. So every question I ask myself, every decision I make, every sacrifice I decide on, every choice I choose from, I ask myself, will this benefit me in the dot or will this benefit me in the line? It all depends on whether or not you believe in the line, I suppose. I say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? See, sometimes Jesus Christ calls you to sacrifice certain things in the dot. Sometimes he calls you to sacrifice your time. You're like, this is my time. And God says, no, I want to take your time and use it for somebody else. And you sacrifice your time because you believe in the line. He's going to give you a lot more time. Sometimes he calls you to sacrifice your treasure. He says to you, I want you to give up here so that you can have it here. You say, but I'm laying up treasure for my retirement. And he says, no, I want you to lay up treasure for eternity. So you sacrifice now because you don't believe just in the dot, you believe in the line. Sometimes he calls you to sacrifice your talents. You give things to him and do things for him. Why? You do these things for him during your life so that your eternity can be blessed by God. So that means there are certain people who believe in this lifestyle, followers of Jesus, disciples, who give up their fishing businesses. They give up their farms. They give up their tax collecting racket. They give up their lifestyle. They give up their community. Sometimes they give up their family. Sometimes they give up a lot. Why? Because they realize life is not about the dot. Most of the world that you know that are not followers of Jesus think people like me are crazy. because of how I live my dot. I am not perfect by any means, and boy, have I screwed up a lot, but I'll tell you, there's a few things I decided years ago I'm just gonna sacrifice because it's not worth it. For example, I'm not a big partier. Shocker, right? <laughs> like, I just don't go out and party. I don't go out and get plastered. I don't go out and take drugs. I didn't do it when I was young. Don't do it when I'm middle-aged. Won't do it when I'm old. You say, why not, Josh? Here's why I don't do those things. Because I sacrifice those things, not just for the dot, but for the line. You say, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> Actually, I do. I counsel a lot of people. <laughs> I talk a lot about the Christian sexual ethic, meaning one man with one woman for one lifetime in a committed marriage covenant. I talk a lot about it, not because it's a political talking point for some people. I talk about it because it's a biblical aspect of our faith. And it's a life that I choose to live. I'm not saying you have to. In fact, I'm going out of my way to say a lot of you can have as many sexual partners in any way that you possibly want. But years ago, I decided I'm going to be with one woman for my lifetime. That's it. I've been with one woman since, I, since we were young, and I will only be with one woman. You say, man, Josh, to be honest, you don't know what you're missing. And I'm telling you, friend, I'm willing to sacrifice one thing because I'm living for the line, not for the dot. 
Do you see? And what I'm saying is that you can choose the same thing. You say, oh, you don't understand, Pastor. I've made a lot of mistakes. Friends, so have I. It doesn't mean that you can't decide now to start living for the line and not for the dot. Money. You know what Jesus people do? Jesus people and Jesus followers, we don't go out and party. You know what Jesus people do? Jesus followers, we don't have constant random sex with, with people. You know what Jesus people do? Jesus followers, you know what we do with our money? We don't blow our money. We sacrifice the immediate desire so that we can prepare for our future, take care of our family, and give away every other dime we can to the poor and those in need. That's what we do. You say, man, you know what? You're, you're kind of missing the point. You're supposed to sock up all the money you possibly can, sack it up, hold on to it so the last few years you can just let loose. And people look at me and they think I'm crazy because I don't live that way. And here's why I don't live that way. I'm not the crazy one, friend. <laughs> Do you know what's crazy? What's crazy is living for thi like this so that you can be excited for this. That's crazy when you ignore that all of this is still to come. Oh, friend, there's nothing more rational than sacrificing the dot for the line. There's nothing more reasonable than the lifestyle of Jesus Christ and that which he calls his disciples to. And what I'm asking you today is to analyze the question, is it worth it? I'll say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? And the answer to that question is only if you believe in the line. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. You say, okay, if you live a certain way for Jesus, eternity becomes better. Absolutely, yes, but that's not all that I'm saying. Jesus said, if you live for me and sacrifice everything for me, not only will you be blessed in eternity, you'll be blessed today. The blessings of Christ are boundless over and over, very clearly taught in Scripture. And so what does it go on to say in verse 59 through 62? There are two illustrations that Jesus gives to double down on this concept that following Jesus Christ is worth it. Look what he says in verse 59. Then Jesus said to one of the other, to another, Jesus is still walking toward Jerusalem, picture the point, and he says to another, hey, 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 follow me. And the man looks at Jesus and says, Lord, yes, but let me first go and bury my father. Now look, when Jesus calls you to do something, you don't say, but let me go. He says, say yes and follow me. But those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers will often reply to Jesus, yes, but let me first go and do whatever I want to do. Now, he, now, this is the most, one of the most controversial things Jesus says in all the Bible, so don't be offended. Understand the point. He, Jesus says, come follow me, guys. Like, hey, can I go bury my dad first? And then Jesus says, look at this. This is crazy stuff. Jesus says in the next verse, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. What? Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. There's a larger point, and that is Jesus saying, sacrifice what you think you want and follow me no matter what the cost. But culturally, you do need to understand what's happening here. What's happening here is Jesus is not telling a guy he's not allowed to go to his dad's funeral. 
what this guy, what most commentators and what most theologians believe is going on here within the cultural setting of the day is this is a young man whose father is most likely a business owner, a farmer, a wealthy individual, or somebody who has some type of means. And his response to Jesus is, I will definitely follow you, but I need to finish following my dad. I need to take over the business, and when he's dead and buried, I will definitely follow you. And Jesus has said, if that's the plan, then just follow your father. Don't follow me. Don't follow me. There's another story right after this. Another person, look what it says in the next verse. In the next verse, it goes on. Another said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go. Do you notice that both the stories, the guy says, first let me go. And Jesus said, no, seek first the kingdom of God. First let me go and bid farewell to all those that are in my house. Jesus, I want to follow you, but there's a family reunion going on. Let me go to the family reunion. I'll be right there. And Jesus says in verse number 63, look what he says. In verse number 63 on the screen, look what he says. Jesus says to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, look, if you're not going to follow me, just don't follow me. Don't pretend to follow me if you're not really going to follow. Because if you look back, you're going to end up going back. So just go back now. This passage is really controversial, and here's why. Because most Christians want to follow Jesus and follow ourselves. And there's always a reason why right now is not a good time to follow Jesus. Jesus, I just got married. I mean, I'm on my honeymoon. I'm ready to follow you eventually, but let me have a few years with my spouse. Jesus, I just bought a field. I just bought a business. And after I take care of this business and set it up, I swear, my life is yours. Jesus, my family, I've got to take care of my family, my extended family. I've got to go to the family reunion. As soon as I get all these things squared away, when my ducks are in a row, I'm all yours, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, your ducks are never going to be in a row. So if you're not going to follow me now, you're not going to follow me. I do this all the time to Jesus, don't you? You know, whenever my retirement is at this amount, I swear I'm going to give to you. Boy, when my kids get to a certain age, I see it all the time. Man, we just had babies. When our children are a little bit older, we'll start coming to church. Well, now they're in preschool, so we got to make sure we keep them at home. And Well, now they're in school, and they're exhausted, and so it's a long week. We like to sleep in on Sunday morning. Now we got baseball and basketball, and so we got a lot going on, and eventually, now the kids are in high school, and they just don't want to come, and so we're kind of tired too. As soon as the kids are out of the house, we're going to be following Jesus. Now the kids are out of the house and there's grandbabies. Pastor, we got to go see the grandbabies. And life goes by. And Jesus the whole time is saying, come follow me. But if I follow you, I have to sacrifice a lot. And Jesus said, exactly, I've told you. Sacrifice. I say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? It depends on if you believe in the line. Here's what I just don't want for you, friend. I just don't want you to spend your life wasting it. That's all. Focusing on things that just don't matter. Spending your time and energy and focus and money and life on a dot when there's a whole line to live. That's what I want for you. 
my, my wife and I, Heather, have been married for 21 years. Wow. She has put up with me for over two decades, which is amazing. I know, but is it worth it? Oh, yes. <laughs> I say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? Yeah, she, uh, oh, maybe, all right. And we love to travel together, do special things together. And um, when we were first ma- married, we had no, uh, no financial capabilities to do the things that I wanted to do with my wife. You remember being young and poor? Do you, do, you, <laughs> do you remember, do you remember for some of you, do you remember being, you counted the quarters in your drawer so that you could buy dominoes? How many of you remember that moment in your 20s? How many of you remember that moment? If you're in your 20s, you don't remember that moment, you need to start saving your money better, I guess, I don't know. Man, I remember that, count, counting quarters. And, and, and we had no money, but it was our anniversary. We're married for two, I think maybe our third year anniversary, and I wanted to take my wife away for an overnight getaway, like a romantic hotel room, you know? But the problem was I looked at our, you know, credit card balance and I realized I'm not sure that we can afford to do it, but I found, so I started searching the internet, newly developed for you young individuals, and I began to search the internet for a great hotel, and, uh, and I, I found a place in, in, in the area for $19 a night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at Whiskey Pete's at State Line. How many of you are familiar with Whiskey Pete's? Raise your hand. How many of you are like, what's Whiskey Pete's? How many of you don't know? Raise your hand. You don't know? Okay, it, it is exactly what it sounds like, okay? Exactly. So I said, uh, so I, I booked the room, and I'm like, this is awesome, romantic getaway, Whiskey Pete's, State Line, this will be great. So I let her know. I'm like, hey, you know, it's our, it's our anniversary coming up. I booked the room. We're going to have a romantic getaway. And she's like, oh, this, that's, that's great. Uh, is it downtown? It's not downtown. Is it on the strip? It's not on the strip. Is it off the strip like a station? Casino? Even better. <laughs> it's at Whiskey Pete's. Now, have you ever seen somebody try to not show disappointment? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I hate being married to you, you know. And uh, we got in the car and drove out there on June 1st. That's the day before our anniversary. Drove all the way out the state line. Got a babysitter for the night. Really excited. Had our little bag. We said, maybe it's not going to be so bad. Maybe it'll be fantastic. Wrong. We pulled in, parked the car, grabbed our luggage, walked to the front door, went inside. The lady was standing there behind the... uh, Nobody was standing there at first, the way I remember. Nobody was standing there at first. So we got to the front check-in, and and, uh, and we rang the bell, and looking around, and rang the bell, saw a rat, rang the bell, you know. (laughs) Finally, somebody came around, and she uh, was putting out her cigarette. Yes! I said, we're here for, uh, to stay for the night. She said, here? I said, yeah, t- tonight. Okay. You know, she put it out, and she checked us in, gave us our room key. And, you know, it was like a cool, like, old-fashioned room key, but not like in a cool way, you know, like in a we-didn't-change-it-for-40-years way. And so we took our key, and we went over to the elevator, and we pressed the button. The doors opened up. And when they did, they went, you know, and we got on, and... We started going up, the doors opened up, and we walked out into the hall. This I remember clearly. We looked down the hall, and not all of the fluorescent lights were working. But the ones that were shimmered. 
and they showed us and demonstrated their Halloween decorations. You know what I mean? But it wasn't Halloween, it was June. <laughs> went all the way down to the end of the hall, turned right, went to unlock and open the door, and the first thing we noticed was the, um, the scent left behind by the previous inhabitants. And it hit us strongly, you know. And we walked in and she looked at me and I looked at her and I said, okay, this should be fun. And she went and turned into the restroom and I walked forward. I'm like, where is that smell coming from? And I, I, I looked down on the ground and the, the carpet was a certain color but not completely that color, you know? And so I, I'm like, have you ever done something against your better judgment? I had to know. So I put my hands on the carpet and I went to smell the, you know. It was a mixture of things that I thought would be there. And I heard from the bathroom my wife say, it's coming from in here too. So I stood up, she stood up, we walked over together, and now we're holding hands, not out of romance, but out of fear. <laughs> and so we did exactly what you would do. We're not going to mess around in a place like this, you know what I mean? So I did exactly what you would do if you had the resources to do so. I, I got on the phone and I called a contractor friend of mine who lives in Las Vegas. And I said, hey man, let me tell you what's happening. I'm on my uh, anniversary night out here at Stateline. He said, oh, awesome, where are you staying? I said, Whiskey Pete's. He said, great choice. I said, this is what I need. I need you to grab your truck if you got the day, and I need you to buy some new carpet, a few pieces of furniture, a new pad. I need some tile. I need some paint. We're going to fix this place up because there's no way I'm spending the night in this dump the way it is. So he did. Grabbed his truck, grabbed some new carpet, new pad, new paint, all this furniture. Great friend. How many of you love a good friend? Amen. Man, he drove all the way out the state line, and we spent the next six or seven hours dragging all of that stuff up there, and we started tearing it. By the time they got there, Heather and I were already on the ground tearing up the old carpet, and there was dust flying and cat dander flying. There were bugs everywhere. We're pulling it all out. We started painting it, put the new carpet down, started pulling in the new furniture. It only cost us about $17,000 to redo the room, and it was, I'm telling you, after seven days, it was spectacular. How many of you realize that is not how the story went? <laughs> Some of you are like, You're cr that's insane! That's crazy! Josh, why in the world would you spend so much time, energy, money, and focus in a place you were only staying for a minute? Why would you focus everything on a night that you knew would go by like this? when you had an entire life to live away from that room. And I'm saying that's unfortunately the way so many Christians still live. Your time, your energy, your money, your focus, your worries, your stress, your mind, it's all about the dot. And God brought you here to remind you today. What about the line? Sure, Jesus is going to say, I need you to sacrifice this and this and this in the dot. But I promise there's a line to come. 
So the question, I'll say, is it? You say, worth it. Is it? <laughs> Only if you believe in the line. Now, some of you say, I, I, I do believe in the line. Do you? Friend, I'm telling you, if you live for the line, it is the ride of a lifetime. There are ups and downs. There are scary moments for sure. But I'm telling you, it is worth every minute of it. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality of the truth that's found in it. Yes, it is true that you call us to sacrifice in this life. Yes, it is true that you tell us to leave behind our old life to embrace the new. But Lord, you have promised that if we live for the future life, this life will be worth it in the end. I pray as you challenge us with this today, it would be a thought that haunts us throughout the month of October, that it would go with us and remind us that living for the line is always the right choice. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.